Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Ruby for All. Julie, what's up? Hey, we've got roofers, so hopefully you can't hear them, but it was a last minute kind of decision uh, that they came by, but they were here all week and I had a hard time focusing. I bet. I have done roofing before and I don't envy either of y'all because it's a hard job and it's hard to focus when people are banging on your roof all day long. I just got back from LA from RailsASConf, which was really fun. I'm glad to see kind of a resurgence of local conferences that I think has been kind of happening more and more. And our guest today actually did a regional conference not long ago that I attended, Jason Sweat. Jason, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You want to give a little introduction to yourself for people who aren't familiar with your wide array of work? Sure. My name's Jason Sweat. I have a podcast called Code with Jason. I also do a lot of blogging on the topic of Rails and Rails testing and other programming topics also. And that's me. Yeah. And I always like to tell this story, but we met very early on in my career because you had a testing podcast and I asked you to come on and ask you questions about testing. And that's how we met. And that was my first podcast. So thank you for that. Yeah. And thanks for reaching out and doing that. That was one of my favorite podcast episodes ever, actually, because you asked really good questions. And I think that kind of thing where somebody comes on, like you coming on the show and asking questions of the host, that's like the reverse of how it usually goes, but it worked out great. Yeah. Today, I think we want to talk about testing. And I think, Julie, you just picked up Jason's testing book. Fantastic book, by the way. Just to give a little bit of background, I have been working for a little over a year now. And it was the first experience I had with testing was through work. And I didn't realize this before, but I didn't really have a good foundational knowledge on testing. And so a lot of the testing that I did for work was copying and pasting from other files and then kind of making it work, but not really taking the time to understand what am I testing and why is this important? So Jason, your book is really great. The language was really easy for me to understand. By the way, the book is called The Complete Guide to Rails Testing. And it really is a nice... Okay, so I don't finish a lot of books. (laughs) I tend to start them and then not finish them. But I'm almost done with your book, Jason. And I started reading it about... What's it been? Like a week or two? So, Yeah, well, thanks so much. That's really good to hear that. Things like that put fuel in my tank and help me keep going and create more content and stuff like that. So it's really good to hear that that's helpful. Jason, how did you get started with testing? Good question. I historically have been a fairly bad developer in the sense that I'm not good at like being careful. I'm really like undisciplined. And so I would build things and I would think they worked, but then they like really wouldn't work. And so that was frustrating. And I had that experience enough times that I don't know if that really like led me to do automated testing. But when I look back after I had done testing for a while, I kind of realized that like, oh, this problem that I used to have all the time doesn't happen anymore. So that was great. But honestly, I don't remember how I got started with testing because it was like such a gradual thing. I think it was a good few years between the time that I like attempted to write my first tests, even more than a few years, it was maybe like five or more years between the time I first wrote a test and the time it was a part of my regular workflow. 
I don't think my path to testing is one that I would hope anyone else would replicate because it was very slow and not very efficient. So that's part of why I teach testing is because instead of taking five plus years to get good at testing, I want to shrink that down into maybe like a year or something like that. I think anything much less than that is probably not very realistic because testing is really hard and there's a lot to it, but you can learn a lot faster than I did. I appreciate that you said that testing is hard because the reason why we connected is I put a tweet out there that said, it said something like, I clearly am not good at testing or something like that. And what I loved about the Ruby community is so many people were being supportive and mentioning that, you know, let's pair if you're having difficulties testing and you reached out and introduced your book to me, which led us to this here. So I forgot why I brought this up. I don't remember either. You know, I can never have a conversation and remember more than like 10 seconds back in the conversation. So you're in good company. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. We were talking about how testing is hard. Yeah. Almost as hard as remembering things we said 30 seconds ago. But yeah, I feel like if you go into something expecting that it'll be easy, but it's actually hard that's like a recipe for frustration. Like a good example for me is Docker. Like I've read so many things online saying how like Docker is easy and I've talked to people and they're like, oh yeah, it's easy. You just like make the Docker file and then like you're good. But it's like so not easy. For example, if you go into a thing expecting it to take two hours, but really it's the kind of thing that takes two weeks, then like you're going to be frustrated that you tried for two hours and not only did you not get done, but you barely scratched the surface. So that's why I always like to remind people or tell people if they don't know that testing is really hard. Learning testing is just as hard as learning programming approximately, and it's going to take a long time. And so if it takes you a long time, that's normal and that's fine. Testing is really hard. I mean, and I think that's why back in the beginning, I was like, I have all these questions and I'm wondering like, what led you to becoming like the Rails testing guy? Because I don't know if you know that, but you are the Rails testing guy right now. So what kind of led you to creating like content and books and like all these blog articles and starting podcasts around testing? Well, that was my aspiration, by the way, to become known as the Rails testing guy. So it's good to hear that some people apparently think of me that way. Okay, so I joined this class four years and some four years and change ago called 30 by 500, which teaches people how to start online businesses. And long story short, that experience led me to focus on the topic of Rails testing and have the idea of like selling books and courses and all that kind of stuff. And so I started experimenting with Rails testing because I noticed that was something a lot of people tended to have a lot of trouble with. And there ended up being a lot there to talk about. And I'm still not nearly done saying all that I could about Rails testing. So that's kind of how that got started. And has the book as popular as you would like it to be? Well, no, I mean, nothing is ever as good as you want it to be. My hope is that, you know, everybody, I get recognized on the street every day and people are like, oh, you know, I want world fame and uh, millions of dollars out of the book. And I'm somewhat short of that, but I have been pleasantly surprised. You know, it's a small miracle that like anybody reads the book. And so every time somebody buys the book, I'm like, oh, whoa, like somebody actually bought the book. That's incredible. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. Something I really liked in the book is the way you have us create 
ours, like basically like a very small version of it. Cause I didn't know what the it blocks do or what the dot two space equal do until I went through the exercise and I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. It's going to be something that I need to keep repeating to really fully understand it. But I thought that was really cool that you put that in the book. Oh, thanks. Yeah, all that stuff can be really cryptic in the beginning. And it's hard to know, like, what is RSpec? What's Ruby? What's Rails? There's so many layers involved, and there's not a clear delineation among the layers. So I always tell people that there's like three things that you need to learn in order to be competent with testing. One is tools, and another is principles. Maybe there's just two things, but tools and principles are two of the big ones. And I think it's helpful to separate those two things because it's like too big of an endeavor learning testing to like come at it without biting it off into chunks and learning those things one at a time. And maybe we could talk about those couple things for a second. So I want to start with some principles. Um, we we're talking a little bit pre-show about the idea of feedback loops. So my experience with people who are new to programming is that often they will have a need to write a certain program and they will write a bunch of lines of code, maybe like 30 lines of code, and then they'll try to run it and they'll get some error message or it won't work in whatever way. And then they'll go back and like squint at these 30 lines they wrote and try to think of like, where's the problem in this code? And that's just so inefficient because like, once you've written 30 lines of code to like go back and figure out where the problem lies, like that's a lot of stuff, 30 lines of code. That's going to take a long time and it's going to put a lot of mental strain on you to find that problem. So it's much more efficient instead just to write one line of code and run it and see if the output is what you expect. Add another line of code, run it, see if the output is what you expect. And if not, make a correction and so on. And that way you're always working from a stable base. Everything that you have works. And the most that you have at any time that potentially doesn't work is one line because you're only adding one line at a time. And so I think before a person is ready to learn testing, they have to learn that feedback loop methodology. And so that's the first thing that I would invite people to get into before they start trying to learn testing. And here's the thing, you know, testing and test-driven development and all that, people find it hard to grasp partly because I think it's often very poorly explained. And so I want to try to explain a little bit better right now. Testing is nothing more than taking that feedback loop process, which you can do manually, and making it automated. So let's talk about that feedback loop process for a second again. You can, if you want to, you can practice something that you might call manual test-driven development. So let's say we're building like, a user profile form or something like that. We could devise a test, a manual test that we could perform to see if the form is working. So we could say, I'm gonna first load the profile page and then I'm going to type my name into the name field and then I'm gonna click save. And my expectation is that the page will reload and my name will still be present because it got saved. So that's our manual test that we could conceive of before we write any code. And we can just hold that in our heads or we could write it down in a note or something like that. We have this manual test we've thought of. All right, then we could carry out the test and we could 
observe that our test fails. And the reason for doing that test in the beginning is because you want to avoid a false positive. Because if you don't perform the test and see that it doesn't work first, then you don't know if your test passed later because the thing works or just because you devised an invalid test that always gives you a yes no matter what. Anyway, you can perform that manual test and say, oh, okay, I loaded the contact page. There's not even a field for name here. So obviously this test failed just now. Then you can go and write the code. You can add that name field, run your manual test again. Okay, I typed in my name, I clicked save and nothing happened. Okay, it still fails. Then you go and write the code that makes save actually save something. Then you run your manual test again and your manual test passes. You're practicing test-driven development with the same exact principles as automated TDD. You're just doing it manually. So I think that's maybe like a more helpful way to come at it than how it's normally taught because it's so easy to get like mixed up in all these like syntax and tools and stuff like that. So I think it's useful to separate those two things. So I've been developing for a while now and I have yet to crack the TDD code. And I kind of just assume like maybe this just isn't for me, but do you practice TDD when you're writing code normally? A certain portion of the time, I consciously choose to practice TDD less than 100% of the time, but I definitely do it more than half the time. And is that mostly unit tests or is that a lot of system tests? Because I know you are big on system tests, I think. Yeah, it's a lot of system tests, maybe even mostly system tests. And there's this practice that they call outside-in testing, which is kind of starting at the broadest level and then going more fine-grained after that. Well, I won't conceive of it, but I guess I'll have like a ticket assigned to me that I have to do some piece of work. And so I'll think of what the first thing is that I want to tackle. And I'll do what we just described. I'll conceive of a test that could be performed. We could even keep going with that same example of a contact form or something like that. Okay, so I separate jobs in my head, which I think is a really important thing and something that can make things easier. The first thing that needs to be done in order to write a test is you have to have a test file. So I'm like, okay, I don't know what this test is going to be yet, but I know I have to have a file somewhere. So I'll open up a file. I'll decide what the file name will be and where it goes. And it almost sounds like dumb as a first step, but that's really what I do. Because even just that little bit is like not zero difficulty for me. And so I do that first. And now that that's done, I can free my mind of the need to think about that. And I say, okay, I have this file now. Then I'll add like the shell of the file. Um, And usually I just copy and paste that shell from some other test file because why not? Then I'll fill out the inside of the test with comments. So I might add a comment that says, visit the contact or visit the profile page. Next comment, fill out the first name field. Next comment, click save. Next comment, expect that the name is still present or whatever. And what I'm doing when I'm doing this is, again, I'm separating these different jobs. I'm separating what the test is going to do from how the test is going to do that. Because it's too hard for me to do both those at the same time. It's like too much mental strain to figure out what I want the test to do and the exact syntax that's needed in order to make the test do it. And just to finish that out real quick, 
I then go back to the top once I have all my comments and one by one, I'll replace a comment with the actual syntax to make it work. Sometimes I have to look that up, but I'll do that same feedback loop style. I'll add one line of the test, then I'll run the test, observe what happens and make sure that what happens is what I expect to happen. So for example, I'll replace that first line, visit the profile page, I'll put in the code for that, I'll run the test and verify that I actually see the profile page come up. And again, this stuff might sound almost like silly, the level of like, it's almost like a childish level of baby steps, but the opportunity for mistakes is so great. And the mental strain necessary to do a lot of this stuff is also so great that I personally need to break it down into steps that are that small just to be able to function. And so I think those things, they make it a lot easier. So that's kind of how I do the system tests, at least. I like that. I like the common approach a lot because I do something similar, but I've never really thought about it like that. That, yeah, laying down comments and thinking about, okay, I wanted to go here, 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 and then starting to write in the code is very helpful versus in my brain, I'm like, okay, but TDD is like actually writing the test. But no, what you're saying is you could just kind of mock it out almost with pseudocode and comments. I like that a lot. I also really Mm -hmm. appreciate the step-by-step instructions for someone like me who has a really hard time trying to plan out how to do anything, even just the first step of create that file, name that file. Yeah, same here. It's hard to think ahead like 10 steps at a time. It's just impossible, really. And in order for me to like be able to get traction with something, I have to break it down to those tiny levels or I just don't know how to get started. Just taking a step back, we didn't really talk about why we need to test. Are there some companies that don't do testing at all? And why is testing important? (laughs) Yeah, not only are there some companies that don't do testing, there's a very alarmingly large proportion of engineering organizations that don't do testing. It's amazing because you would think that like these practices at this time in the modern age of development would be ubiquitous, but no, it's very unevenly distributed. So my experience is a lot of places don't do testing. Yeah. not. I have seen places with less than optimal tests for sure. And it especially gets harder when your test suite is legacy and so much crap has been thrown in it that it takes like 30 minutes to run in CI and maybe it never runs locally. So... Yeah, I've seen some horror stories before. Yeah, so the state of the art is not particularly great in my experience. But to address the other part of your question, Julie, why do testing? To me, there's one big reason, which is to go faster. And there's maybe other reasons too. But for me, that reason of going faster is enough by itself. And so that's the whole reason I write tests. Some people think that testing is a time adder which is it's totally not adding because you know you can't just not test the alternatives to automated testing are manual testing or just no kind of testing at all and then the customers are doing your testing there's no option to not write tests or there's no option to not do any kind of tests it's just a matter of how much do you want to spend And the cheapest way to do testing, both in terms of actual money and like reputation and all that stuff, 
and even things like developer morale and all that kinds of things, the cheapest way to do that is through automated testing, in my opinion. I do want to say regarding the time thing, that's something that I run across sometimes. I'm like, ah, it's going to take me too long to write these tests and I need to ship this. But you're right in that the long-term payoff of that time like taken there will be distributed out across like the code base. Because you were saying testing for you is for moving fast. Testing for me is confidence. Confidence that when I'm deploying my code, someone else's code isn't broken. And if it is, the test will catch it, right? And it is like an up, front cost a little bit in terms of time, but the more you do it, the better you'll get, the less time it'll take. But that time you spend there will be saved, not forever, but it will be reverberated throughout the organization. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And just like for a couple of nuances. So I think writing tests is on average faster. There are some times when like writing the feature and skipping the tests would be a lot faster. So it's like an on average thing, but also a lot of the times, even just for one single feature, I find it faster to do it with a test than without a test, because for a lot of stuff, in order to test it manually, you have to go and do like eight steps and click on these things and stuff like that. And it's just a lot easier to do the automated version. So you don't need to wait for that long-term benefit because it benefits you like immediately. Yeah. So what are some like, as we're running on time, what is some of the things that you see juniors making mistakes with when learning testing that maybe you can offer some advice for? Yeah, good question. I'll give you one because it's a big one, which is testing implementation, not behavior. So the analogy that I've used for this in the past is like, say you're building a car and you want to test the car. One way you could test the car is to open up the hood and verify that it has a battery and that it has brakes and that it has an engine and all these other things. But that doesn't really verify anything. Much better, okay, instead of checking to see if the car has an engine, turn the car on and see if it starts up and if it can drive. Instead of checking for the presence of brakes, hit the brakes and see if the car stops and so on. So that's the difference between testing implementation and testing behavior. And just to be extra clear, checking for the presence of brakes, for example, would be testing implementation and actually hitting the brakes and stopping, that's testing behavior. And so what that maps to in Rails is people do things like test for associations and test for the presence of validations and stuff like that. Those things aren't behavior, those things only enable behavior. And some people say, well, let's have both. It gives you extra assurance to have both. But I don't think that's true because if you take out those associations, then your tests that check the presence of the associations would break. But also the tests that test the behavior that those associations enable, those would break too. So your tests that test the implementation are just redundant. So that's the big things. Test behavior, not implementation. Yeah. My biggest one is, and it's going off of that, but to kind of like a finer grain scale, don't test Rails, right? Rails has plenty of tests. There's no need for you to re-implement those tests. Just like you were saying with the using like should a matches for instance, to like test for the existence of relationships, like just don't test Rails, right? I think there's like a smell test you can perform. Okay. Am I testing how Rails works or am I testing how my application works? Because if you're testing how Rails works, chances are you probably don't need that test. Mm -hmm. 
Do we also not test any gems? Like, do we trust all the gems that we use and we don't need to test? I'm glad you use the word trust because I've heard people say that before, like you should trust Rails, but that's not really the thing. You shouldn't trust anything. It's again, goes back to the implementation and behavior. We're using the gems to enable certain behaviors. And if we have behaviors that sit on top of gems, and if we like yanked those gems out, or if those gems had a bug introduced or something like that, then the behavior that those gems enabled would stop working and our tests would start failing. So that's my answer to that. Now, maybe a more nuanced question is if we have a gem, devise might be a bad example, but if we have a gem and we're just using like the out of the box behavior without doing anything to it, do you write a test for that? I'm not sure because that's a scenario that doesn't come up for me a lot, but with the device example, at least, I do have tests for sign-in because that would be so consequential if it broke and the tests are so easy to write that it just seems like a good idea to have those. But I guess my main point there is you probably have behavior that sits on top of the gem or framework or whatever it is. And by virtue of the fact that you're testing that behavior, you are also testing that gem or framework or whatever and you certainly don't need to, and it would be wasteful to write extra tests that just target that gem or framework or whatever. Thanks. I also love the car analogy because it helped me understand like implementation versus behavior. I, I didn't really quite understand it before until like, I think you had a bike example in mm. your book. Mm -hmm. I guess one of the main questions that I wanted to ask before we run out of time is there's end-to-end -end tests, system tests, acceptance tests, integration tests. Can we maybe kind of dig into what each of those are? Are there differences between them? Yeah. So this is a muddy area because there's not a lot of consensus in the testing world of what things mean. And so there are terms that mean different things to different people. And so it's very hard to communicate because when one person says integration tests, that might mean something else to a different person. But we can kind of go through some of those real quick. Maybe let's start with unit tests. What people generally mean by unit tests are tests that are very isolated and they test like the bottom level, the finest grain thing. Unit tests don't hit a network. They don't even hit a database or anything like that. They're just very tight and they test a very fine grain thing. Sometimes people like loosely refer to model specs and rails as unit tests. And I'm not going to say that they're wrong or anything like that. Because again, these terms are very fuzzy and they mean different things to different people. And if that's a useful way to talk about those tests for within a team or something like that, then I'm not going to say that's wrong. Integration tests, those generally mean tests that test at least two things in conjunction. So that might be, well, two components of a program, testing them together. And then when some people say integration test, they mean something that's basically synonymous with a system test in Rails. And system tests are tests that test the entire system from the HTTP request down to the database. They test all layers. They exercise a browser. They simulate clicking in clicking on fields and typing things in and stuff like that. 
let's see, oh, acceptance tests. That is kind of like, again, the general meaning, it's not the same for everybody, but that is the idea of, I'm testing this feature to make sure that it passes its acceptance criteria. Does it check all the boxes that it needs to check? That, in my understanding, is generally what people may mean when they say acceptance test. Yeah, I find in Rails when people are talking about, especially integration and systems tests, they're kind of talking about the same thing typically. There mm -hmm. used to be like this type of integration, like specific thing in Rails, but I don't think people usually use that as much anymore. It's only something I've really seen in older Rails apps. So typically in Rails, system test and integration tests are usually talking about the same thing. And that's when you're running your test powered by Capybara in a headless browser and it's simulating clicking events, just like Jason was saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's consistent what's, with my experience too. What's a headless browser? A headless browser is a browser that runs without any form of like UI. So it's running on your system in the background, basically. And you can actually view it. You can specifically say, hey, I want to actually watch this happen. But it's basically doing a spinning up a browser in the background that you can't see. And it executes just like a normal browser and it clicks through and things. And you can actually say, hey, I want to actually watch you run. But it's not running in your Chrome that you've downloaded. It's running in the special version of Chrome or Firefox or whatever that's on your system or in your CI or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah, thanks. Well, I think we're at time. Jason, I really appreciate you coming on. Do you want to plug what you want to plug and tell people where you can be found online? Sure. So I just decided this about five seconds ago, but I'll give a discount code to your listeners if they want to check out the book. Let's make the discount code Ruby for All. And the book is called The Complete Guide to Rails Testing. And if you just Google The Complete Guide to Rails Testing, you can find that. Or if you just Google Rails Testing Book, you can find it easily that way too. And then just for my general writings and anything else that I do, codewithjason.com is probably the best place to go. I do want to say that earlier, I made a note to mention this. The fact that you teach kind of how to build your own RSpec, I know companies who use that as interview questions. So mm -hmm. I know a friend who literally was told, hey, build a few of these methods in RSpec with plain Ruby. So for that reason alone, I would definitely check out the book and some of those questions might come up in an interview later. Jason, thank you so much for coming on. I had a blast and learned even more things in the interview. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. All right, everyone. We will catch you all next week. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye.